can see we're Mark 2.18, if you want to follow along. We came off of uh, Jesus calling Matthew uh, and also doing some healing and talking about forgiveness of sin, which is what Jesus has been doing uh, quite a bit already. As we get into these texts, uh, we're think about that. Anytime you come to the Bible, your main reason for being in there was to get to know God better. Uh, and that's obviously quite easy when we're looking at, at the gospel. So just the first five verses here, starting at chapter 2, uh, verse 18. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guest fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunken cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. So Jesus is kind of telling what is a faithful conduct uh, for a disciple of Jesus. Uh, we've, we've got examples here of John the Baptist's disciples and the Pharisees' disciples, which just means followers, that they were uh, fasting. Why, why aren't you guys doing it? So this issue always, as always goes with Jesus' teachings and Jesus' interaction and certainly what's written down in the Gospels goes to deeper than what we see on the, on the surface. Could one's spiritual life be contained within the old rigid forms that we kind of get that with the wineskins metaphor there? Or would it need fresh forms? You know, what, what is Jesus coming to do, Messiah even coming to do? Is this going to change things or is it just kind of a tack on? And that was something that was uh, hard for them to, to grab onto. Now, fasting was normally done to show sorrow for circumstances or conduct or to get closer to God, or hopefully both. Uh, we do that. Uh, uh, people fast sometimes. Uh, in Matthew, it tells us that when you fast, you're not supposed to make it look like you're fasting. So if you're fasting, I don't want to hear about it. Because then I know you're fasting. You know, it's just kind of odd. It was supposed to, it's supposed to be between you, usually you and God. And there's sometimes when people have done that, uh, you know, a fast for, and that's okay, I think, as long as you, you know, humility is what's luck, what's why you do it, is because you're humble before God. I don't think it's trying to trick God and to think, well, if I fast, then he'll finally answer that prayer I've been asking for five years. Uh, it's just to get closer to God. It's a way to do it. Um, you know, but when Jesus is with them, uh, as the bridegroom, fasting makes no sense. Why? Well, because fasting is ultimately get to know God. Well, who is Jesus? Well, he, well he's God. So you might just want to listen to him right now. And that's kind of what Jesus is getting at here. You know, sometimes we miss the boat. You know, we come to worship. We, we do all these things. But what are we really trying to do? It's to get to know Jesus better. That's the main thing. That's what fasting's for. That's what, what baptism is for. You know, as I said, you know, is this going to, the old things, is that going to become the same? And Jesus is just going to kind of whitewash it a little bit? Or is he changing stuff? Or is he maybe making different priorities? You know, th there, were, there were weekly fast days back then. Um, 
though they're not in the law of Moses. And the law of Moses, really, at first it looks like there's only one day that you have to fast, and that's on Yom Kippur. Uh, Yom is the Hebrew word for day, and Kippur, or Kippur, is, is the word for atonement. And so the day of atonement, you can, uh, you know, a little Hebrew, isn't that fun? Uh, but that was, and then when we get to Zechariah, we see that maybe, maybe four times a year. But the Pharisees have gone farther, and there's nothing wrong with that, I, I don't think. But they, 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 Pharisees, they fasted twice a week. They were fasting on Mondays and, and Thursdays every week. And they're making it more stringent. You know, I think at the base of that, they're probably getting to know, get to know God better. But it be can become so just a religious thing you do. Uh, God had kind of set it up just for a few times anyway. But again, what do we do? You look back at even, even like baptism. How does that change with Jesus? And, uh, we talked about this when we had Jesus' baptism and John the Baptist's baptisms. You know, that's why we call him John the Baptist. It's not, not because of his denominational affiliation. You know, it's not. It's, it's because he baptized people. So, but what was his baptism was re repentance, they said. Well, they, that's really what it was in the Old Covenant. There were these mikvah pool washings. It was to purify. It was to show that you wanted to follow God. Usually it was just for converts to Judaism. And John the Baptist comes along the scene and says, well, no, I, I, everybody is short of the glory of God. Y'all, everybody, Pharisees, er everybody needs to get washed. And so he changes it that way. And Jesus has changes it even more. But you think about these things we do when you, you can have a life that is, uh, has a, a, a kind of a cadence of following God. You worship on Sundays. You, you, you might go to Bible study on one of the days of the week. You do this in the morning. You do, and that's good. That's all good. But sometimes there's things in life we do or that happen to us that changes everything in an instant. You know, I always think about bad things that can do that. Uh, even last night, I was driving, obviously, quite safely uh, and almost got clipped going pretty quick and I'm like that would have changed everything in one instance that's a bad but the good things can happen too you know you think about how long did it I mean is there any time in this how long did it take for you guys to get baptized but from the time in there to time out probably you know, like a minute and a half but don't underestimate the importance of the baptism because it didn't take very long just like anything else, when you make a decision for Jesus, it, it, it can happen one time. And, and this is something you always want to remember. You think about as you go forward, whether you are just got baptized, you have been baptized, you kind of want to remember your baptism. I, profession, or I professed this in front of everybody. And, and in fact, we can almost say the way we do stuff here that you, you've just professed it before the whole world because this is on the internet. one of the times the internet's used for good, you know, which is, happens quite a bit if you know how to use the right search engines. Uh, but, but, I, but think about that you make one choice, but it, it changes your life forever. Uh, so don't, don't equate that all the time. We do that. It's like, well, you have to put a lot of work into it. Well, no. I mean, each one of you made, obviously, decided this was something you wanted to do. I mean, didn't, that maybe didn't happen overnight. But the decision to do it and actual the, the act itself... Is, is and it's a very neat it's it's and this is it we don't get any new baptism regulations from the bible and until jesus comes back that i don't know what we'll do in the new heaven and the new earth with when it, when it comes to baptism but uh probably won't be needed 
So if any of you, anybody wants to be baptized, you know, there's, uh, let us know. I mean, there's connection cards in there, and on there, I want to be baptized. We already have, you don't have to circle it. And, and we'll do that. We'll, we'll baptize you. I mean, we've got, uh, uh, it, was, it was generous donors that gave, got us this, you know. It's a really neat font. We heat it, you know. And I have decided by edict that it's casual Sunday when we do this. So I'm hoping to get some more baptism days so we can get some more casual Sundays and get off those ties and stuff. So, Although I, I, I enjoy w wearing those things too. But again, it's coming back. To the, we do these things in a and that's okay. So it's, a, it's an e either or. It's, it's a both and, I think we should like it. You have these times when you decide, I'm following Jesus, and not only am I going to follow, I want to show everybody I'm doing it. And that, you don't have to be cocky about it. I mean, you, you're, you're humble about it. You're a child of God. The angels rejoice. You have... Jesus with you, it, it, all those promises that uh, Jesus gives you is essentially comes together when we uh, obediently go into the, the waters of baptism or each day when we open our Bibles to just read a verse to realize why you're here and you come to worship like you have today. And fasting was supposed to be that way. It's a spiritual practice to get close to God. And ironically, you have these people, and we don't want to do that because we always say you don't want to be like the Pharisees. Well, I wish some people were in some ways. I mean, these were pretty good guys. I don't know if you knew it, but the Jewish people thought these guys had it figured out because they were really, really obedient. It was the heart that was the problem. You know, put in the, the desire to be closer to God, but don't get cocky about it and look down your nose at everybody else. You know, it's the old adage I've heard, you know, becoming a Christian, getting baptized, and then telling somebody else about it is one beggar telling another beggar, this is where you get the bread. <laughs> you know, that's, that's the way we need to, to look at it. And here, these Pharisees are, have God, which is what the whole goal is, is to get to know him better, in the flesh, right in front of them, teaching them, and they're worried about, no, we've got to keep doing this other stuff. Seems kind of silly, doesn't it? It'd be, I don't know if this is a good analogy, but, you know, we're talking about Jesus. We're getting baptized because uh, we want to follow Jesus. And I'm sitting here preaching, and, you know, it's really good, right? <laughs> and then Jesus shows up. I'm not saying he would, but he, the Spirit's here. But, but Jesus came in, and we're like, well, no, I'm not done yet. I think we just all get on our knees and say, whatever you want to say. You know, whatever he wants to say. We want to, that's a little bit, hopefully that's a decent analogy of what's going on here. And then you use these wineskins and new material, you know, just the way I don't know anything about material. I never even tried. I couldn't sew something without my finger in the way. Um, and I don't have any wineskins. Um, it's just the idea of, you know, the fermentation makes it, you know, get bigger and then it gets brittle and it, it won't hold it. it. You know, back then, again, he's using metaphors they knew that shrunken cloth will big, make bigger holes. But what do they emphasize? The new covenant is being ushered in by Jesus, and it's not to be simply added to the old. It's just not to tack on. This is what it's all meant to be, and we'll see that when we get to the Sabbath regulation. So the old covenants all were pointers to the new. The, 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 the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant, all point to this one Messiah that's coming to make everything new, and that's why we call it the new covenant, because it's new in a sense that the old ones have been fulfilled in Christ. And the old ones, the shadows, they're shadows not in a sense of being bad, but being incomplete. They're no longer operative. 
They're not there anymore. You don't need to follow them. You need to follow the new one. That doesn't mean they're not informative. And we'll, again, when we get to the Sabbath, we'll see how informative it is. They're not part of the new covenant in Christ. Now it's by faith, not under the old covenant. It was always by faith, but in faith in what? Now it's faith in who? We're under a different jurisdiction. Because people get, you know, how much do I have to do? How much do I have to follow, you know, the, the, the old covenant? And it depends on what you mean by that, you know. You could say not at all and completely, depending on how you look at it. Um, you will find, if you follow Jesus, that a lot of the old covenant stuff seems to kind of fall into place. You know, Jesus says, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, might, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, if you do that, the Ten Commandments just kind of fall into place. You don't have to follow each one because you're already doing it. We're under a different jurisdiction. We're under the jurisdiction of Jesus, not the jurisdiction of Moses. And I think if you asked Moses, he'd say, follow that guy. So here's an analogy. I don't know if it's very good, but I'm going to use it. Uh, you know, different jurisdictions. Um, how many people here are citizens of Canada? I was hoping for none. I got it. I had to get far enough north. Um, what if Canada passed a law that said during all hockey games, you could not do any work? You had to watch it, and you had to say, eh, every period. That was a good game, eh? <laughs> yeah. Uh, would you have to follow it? You're not from Canada. But people from Canada would have to, and they might not like it, but they it's under their jurisdiction. Now, that's a kind of a goofy law, but Canada has a law against murder. Did you know that? You're not supposed to kill an innocent person without proper justification. So we don't have to do that either because we're not from Canada, right? Well, yeah, well, 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 wait a minute. We, we, well, we, that's a good law. We have it too. I don't know if you knew that. You know? And that happens in the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. It crosses over. It's just that w don't go back to the old wineskins and follow that. You know, people say to me, well, I just follow the Ten Commandments. And I said, well, that is just, that's for three-year-old Christians. You want to do, you want to follow something? Follow Sermon on the Mount. Good luck. You're not going to be able to do it on your own. You know, don't set the bar so low. You know, Jesus comes in and says that I've got a new commandment for you that you love one another. Well, that was the old commandment. But he didn't finish yet. As I have loved you. Now we know what it looks like. Yeah, he comes in and, and gives us those things. So the so theology and practice of the old covenants are valuable in understanding who God is. Again, why are you going to the Bible? I don't know if anybody, you can raise your hand if you want. It could be rhetorical. I don't care. Anybody do in the year, uh, read the Bible in a year? Yeah, I mean, some people do that, and it's good. And, you get, and people always say they get to Leviticus, and it's so hard. And it's like, can you read that by trying to understand who God is? It's hard. You think Leviticus is hard. Wait to get the first Chronicles. You can look that up. I don't know, it's the first eight or nine chapters. Just, I'll let you look it up, and I'm sure you'll chuckle. Why is it in there? Again, am I doing this to try to find something for me? Yeah, but first of all, am I trying to? God apparently wanted it to be in there. And so let's read the whole thing 
and try to understand. So the old covenants are great. It helps us understand. I mean, think about it. When we do Good Friday services, and we're talking about the Lamb of God dying on the cross to take his sins of the world away, it's not really that hard to figure out when we think about Passover, which is an old covenant thing. But that's a perfect example. Jesus changes Passover it's not just a lamb that you kill to get to know God better and to realize your sinfulness. It's God coming and being that lamb. That's, that's a bigger deal, isn't it? He fulfills that. doesn't mean the old one isn't important. It's just not something we need to do anymore. So there are no binding, no matter binding. First, 2 Corinthians 1.20 is kind of a, a good verse to remember. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with the resounding yes. There's no promises that God has made in the Old Testament he hasn't taken care of that matter for each one, for every person. And that's what we have to remember. We get, if there's other types secondary there, maybe there are, but as far as what it really matters, we've got everything we need in Jesus. You don't need more than that. And then he goes on because this becomes a big deal. He uses the Sabbath, or as they say in uh, Israel, the Sabbat, as a way to show people this. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing this? Why is it, it is not lawful to do this on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read that David did? When he was in need and was in hungry, and those were with him were in hungry, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful, for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. In one of the other Gospels, that did not make them happy. Because that's what you're here, right? Everybody's here, you just want to be happy. You all happy? Everybody happy? I'd be happy if you quit talking about being happy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I hate to burst your bubble, but you weren't created to be happy. Happiness comes by doing what God wants you to do, and then the happiness comes later. If you're looking for happiness, you may or may not get it. Um, but they weren't happy. <laughs> not here. Because he had done something. The Sabbath becomes a big deal. Uh, it becomes kind of a line or demarcation between those who truly want to follow Yahweh and those who think they're following Yahweh without Yahweh who came in the flesh. So they're dealt with kind of at two levels here. You've got the first level where how the then current Sabbath regulations did not get to the real heart and meaning of the Sabbath. And we see this in a number of different ways. Most of the Jewish Sabbath regulations of the Jesus Day were not in the Old Testament. There's all these different Sabbath regulations. About 8% of them are actually in, in, the New, in the Old Testament. The rest of them are tacked on. Um, and the way they were interpreted is tacked on. Uh, verse 27 kind of sets the tone for the intended meaning. You know, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. You know, that's a really cool line. Here, uh, kind of back to our little theme about how long it takes to do something. That's a really quick line, and so is the next one. But boy, is that power. You know, they didn't look at it that way. You weren't created to follow rules. Rules were given to you by God so you could follow him. The rules were for you. You're not for the rules. 
We're not just going around like robots following stuff, whether we like it or not. <laughs> I don't like that idiom, whether I like it or not. You know, I, I, I've said that before, too. It's kind of like, well, I'm going to go to worship whether I like it or not. I'm going to do Bible study whether I like it or not. You know? We're going to get baptized whether we like it or not. It's like, maybe we should start liking it. We won't have to say that anymore. And I think that is the key. When you get to the point where I want to follow what Jesus says because I like it, not because I do it whether I like it or not. You know, I think that's the heart thing, the next thing. So what was the Sabbath for? It's made for man to be refreshed often, physically and spiritually. And the second one's probably more important, but it tended to happen. It happens in our own churches. It happens in our own cultures. We're just not doing anything is the main thing. Well, no, <laughs> it's not the main thing. It's a way to get to the main thing. It's the physical, the physical stopping of work in that old covenant was supposed to be a spiritual renewal. You know, we have that now. People, even in our own cultures, people don't do things on Sunday, but they don't worship either. It's like, well, I think you're missing the point. You know, it's the idea, the Sabbath doctrine how's that going to operate in the new covenant? What are we really trying to get to? And then Jesus teaches something even more deep here. He's already kind of messing with the Sabbath, and they're not going to like that. But then he says, I have authority over this. This is, this is what we call a, I don't know if you know the way this is said. There's John, who has all these I am sayings. And then you've got what we call the synoptic gospel. This is just a big Latin word that means telling the same story. So you get Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We call those the synoptics. John mostly has these I am sayings. You know, I am the bread of life. I am the living water. I am the resurrection. And I am is the, the, the Greek word for Yahweh. You know? So he's making deity claims here. This is an I am moment here. Because he's already said he's the son of man. We had that last week. That comes out of Daniel 7. It's a deity claim. And he says the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. Which, if you think about that, if we know who Jesus is, this obviously makes sense. Who gave the Sabbath regulations in the first place? What is the answer to every question in a children's sermon when you don't know? Jesus. Right. Jesus gave us this. You think about, the, the, uh, it's almost like he could say, I don't think you guys know who you're talking to here. This makes so much sense. I created this for them. Don't tell me whether or not what I'm saying. I'm Lord over this. It's not Lord over me. And by extension, it's not even really Lord over my disciples, or it shouldn't even be Lord over you guys. You don't just follow these rules because it's something to do, or you think maybe God will like you better. I do think God likes us once in a while, um, but you know yourself. Is there times you shouldn't? If your whole idea is I'm going to try to be better so he'll like me better, good luck with that. Uh, you think you're going to do something and impress him? It's like, well, I've never seen a better sermon than that. It's like, good luck. Yeah. Again, we're not trying to impress God. We're not trying to get him to like us better. We're just accepting his love. And we're trying to make him proud. I think that's good. I, I think we can, you know, well done, good and faithful servant. But what Jesus is doing, he's giving us the fullness. He's saying these Sabbath regulations, these old covenant regulations, 
are pointers to something new. They're all pointers to something. Like we said last week, the miracles were pointers to something greater. It pointed to who Jesus was. These old covenant regulations point to Jesus, always. And we'll look at a verse here toward the end that really helps us into that. So in the, in the new covenant, strict Sabbath observance is nowhere commanded because you're missing the point. You're missing the point if you think, well, I just got to, you know, not and, and, and I, I always like to do this and it's because I am sometimes a smart aleck, but I like to do this because people say, you know, well, Sunday we're not going to work. And there were those blue laws and we used to have those. I, when I was in Texas, uh, that was back in like 2000. We'd go to these little churches and preach in these little towns and boy, you couldn't find anything open. If you were going to get fed, they took you to their house, you know. Now, I don't think you have to do that, but I thought it was kind of cool. I mean, I guess if, if we had, and I'll give my vote, you don't have to give yours, but if they said, Denison and, you know, surrounding areas, we're going to have Sunday where nothing's open and we all worship and we stay together and we be with families and we act like this is really important, what do you vote? I'm going to vote yes, but we can't require it because that would be back legal. <laughs> but I still think it'd be cool. And if you don't like it, you can move to Harlan. Or wherever, you know. <laughs> I mean, again, you can't command it because that takes the freedom away. But remember, the Sabbath is Friday sunset to Saturday sunset. It's not Sunday. Now, again, what is the Christian Sabbath? We, we see the similarities of the Lord's Day. This kind of comes upon us where believers gather together to worship, to pray, to study, and possibly physical rest. And we see some of those. But there's not a lot of instruction given here. We're not even sure if the Lord's Day is Sunday. That's how much little we know. But this is where it comes from. On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them. So they're thinking, well, that breaking bread probably has to do with worship. First day of the week, Sunday. So it, it probably makes sense. Uh, but where does this come from? Well, it comes from when did Jesus rise? Well, when did he rise? We'll get to this eventually here in, in, Mar in Math or excuse me, Mark 16. And the very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And, that, you know, that's why you know, Easter Sunday. Uh, and then maybe, we're not sure, but it says, John says in the Revelation, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. So there's reasons why we think maybe this is true. But what you have to remember in the, in the New Covenant, it allows for a lot of freedom in these things. Um, we have people in our congregation that, that because of their job work on Sunday. So we encourage them to find other ways to get into getting to know God better. Um, again, we don't want to make it legalistic. In, in Galatians, it says, so Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in the slavery to the law. You can't say, well, I'm completely free, but I have to go to worship or God won't like me anymore. Well, I, I don't think that's true. I think you go to worship because you want to ex experience God more. I mean, I look around here, and you, a lot of you who are here a lot, I don't have to tell you to come. I probably say things that make you want to come less. You come because you want to. You come because you want to honor God. You want to know him better. You want to you respond to what he says. And in Romans 14 and 1 Corinthians 10, there's a, the, I'll let you read those, but R Romans 14 talks about this, that we can't, 
divide over whether or not what day we're worshiping or how we're worshiping or how big our baptismal font is or whether we should sprinkle or dunk. Um, all these different things, that, that shouldn't be something we argue over. Uh, in, in 1 Corinthians, it talks about the word conscience, which is kind of hard to define, but that's a moral thing in your soul that God gifts each person with and that ha somehow has a God connection as image bearer. Some people squelch it greatly, I realize that. But it's really talking about food sacrifice to idols there. It, in, in the Corinth temples that were pagan, they would they would slay these animals and sacrifice it to foreign, you know, these pagan gods, and then they'd sell it in the marketplace, and it's usually a little cheaper than the other stuff. It's like getting the round steak instead of the sirloin, you know. But people would take that, and then they would, because it was cheaper, and then, and, and then, and then you'd go eat with them, the Christians, and do we eat this or do we not? It's, you know, it's pay, and it's, it's again, conscience. And, and Paul essentially says, eat whatever you want, but if this bothers the person, and it hurts their faith, then don't eat it. Uh, again, uh, use common sense, maybe. I think that's, again, we're free. Let's not put the yoke of slavery back on our backs. Because we, what the good thing is about coming to worship on Sunday is there's that one day, at least, that you're focusing on God. But John Calvin, one of the great reformers, every day is the Lord's day. This is the day the door has made. We will rejoice. It, you know, Monday, even though it gets a lot of bad press, is still a day that the Lord wants you to get to know him better. So I, I think, again, we want to look at it that way. That's the slippery slope problem of the, you know, as they say, live, live very holy on the Sabbath and live like hell the other six days. That's not. It, hell's in the Bible. I can say it. It's right there. I mean, they really live like you don't know Jesus, like you're living for Satan, for sin. And that's never, in the, that's not honoring to God. But for his followers, and this is a great verse, we'll kind of end with this, Jesus is our Sabbath rest. I like the way the book of Hebrews takes the old covenant and shows us how the new fulfills it. Uh, if you want a good book to figure that out, this is it. Hebrews is great at this. It has a lot of Old Testament references, and it has, so then, so let me kind of give you a little bit of preemption. So then, when you see that something's happened here, and we're in verse 9, he's talking about the rest of the promised land. You know, for 40 years they wandered, and they weren't resting in that way. They had no, they were in tents, and they kept moving. In fact, there wasn't even a temple yet. We had a tabernacle. Even God only had a tent. And they kept moving around, and there was no rest for them. And he said, really, the Hebrews writer says, there's really no rest for anyone unless... You look to what God has offered. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. I like the way he puts that. The people of God in the Old Testament were the Hebrew Israelites that were following Yahweh, and now it's anybody who believes in Jesus. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. What's he talking about there? Don't work your way to heaven. You're not, you three are not, saved, written in the book of life because you got baptized. You got baptized because you were saved and written in the book of life. You don't work for it. The rest comes from grace. This is such a cool verse. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. So you, be, you, you have gratitude. You're obedient because you believe, because you want to honor him.
because you want to do those things that please him. Well, I guess we call that grace. We're saved by grace, not by works. And baptism signifies that. It's, it's saying, Jesus, I accept what you did. I can't do it myself. I can't clean myself up, but you can. And that's what the water symbolizes here. Maybe you can think about, I didn't have it in there, but it comes to mind, the Matthew 11 passage. It's one that we know well toward the end of the chapter where he says, come to you, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I think that's what he's talking about. It's not really physical rest he's talking about there, is it? It's spiritual rest. You know, take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am humble of heart, and you will find, and this is the key, rest for your souls. That's what this is always, but rest for your soul is peace with God. It's not sleepy soul. Rest always is about we have, now we have confidence. And I don't have to worry of where I'm going if I die or worry if God loves me or worry if Jesus is sufficient or worry if I'm doing enough that he will still love me. I can just rest and just stay and bathe in that idea that he's with me no matter what and nothing can separate us. So Mark is trying to help us, as we said very early in this. We're finding out who Jesus is through the eyes of the disciples. He's still a teacher, but they're realizing he's something more because a teacher would not say that I control the Sabbath. I am Lord of that too. In fact, we're going to find out he's Lord of everything. But that's the question you always have to ask yourself every time you get up in the morning. In fact, you can do it at lunch. I don't care when you do it. Who is Jesus and what difference does it make to your life? You know, these three this morning said Jesus was their Lord, their Savior, and is the one they rely on, the one who's going to be with them by the power of his Spirit to live a life worthy of the calling. And every day I encourage you guys to remember that and live a life of gratitude. Let us pray. Father, we start to see more and more who Jesus is. We obviously have read to the end of the book and know what happens, but as we look at these disciples figuring it out, it helps us get to know you better. Hopefully each one here, through the baptism, through the word, through these songs, even this last song uh, we sing, may it help us get closer to you, get to know you better, have that relationship more secure so we can rest in your promises and have rest for our souls. Amen.